The sermon series that the church is in right now is on the letter to Jude, the second last book in the Bible. And the pastor had chosen certain things that would come up. So I'd like to read a passage he chose that's not part of my sermon. It's from 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. Because the theme of this particular service is a call to holiness. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were redeemed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Let us pray. Again, Father, we plead with you that in the power of your Holy Spirit, you may work amongst us to glorify yourself, to turn our eyes and our hearts to Christ and to your word, and into a life of prayer, and walking according to your holy scriptures. Be present with us in this time. And while our pastor is away, we pray blessing on him, his marriage, his family, and the help he can be to his son. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We continue some sermons in the letter to Jude. I asked the pastor for permission, since he had certain texts. I said, I would like to use uh, some other texts. And he said, fine. But I wanted to point out in the book of Jude, oh, I got something else. I'm sorry that uh, so many of you found out that I have vertigo and uh, this is interesting. When the, the minister preaching the sermon has vertigo, you know what happens. He goes round and round on the same theme. And uh, that's uh, quite possible. But, but it, this morning it would be intentional. When we look at the book of Jude, we discover there is very strong language about what's going to happen to these 
false teachers that have weaseled their way into the church, and it discusses the lives they live in how we should be different. But I used to think, I've read Jude a number of times, and I used to think this is a standard text dealing with false teachers. Get rid of them. Well, there are texts that teach that. But this particular text focuses down on how they live. Now, I'm not going to give a sermon because it's in another part and it's already been covered. I'm not going to give a sermon on how false teachers live. But the point is that this becomes a foil. It becomes an opportunity to make a contrast between how they live and how you should. And uh, that's really stressed, and therefore, when we talk about holiness, we should talk about what does the Scripture teach on this? What is the call to holiness for us? It's a subject I think causes us some fear because we feel some pressure to be perfect when we aren't and can't be. But the call to holiness is to take us on a certain path. Now, the trouble in the church, uh, the trouble in the church, the trouble outside the church with false teaching doesn't just sit there idly. It gets into the church, not because the wind blew down the door, but because it's brought in by people who don't tell you at the beginning what their real interest is. Listen, I was told by a brother from another country in Europe that what was going on inside the church, in the youth group, and now you don't even want me to tell you what it was. These things happen. They weaseled their way in. Here's what Luke said. He's very serious. <clears throat> and he starts with, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. And so the message of Jude is don't be like them. And that is the way there's a call to holiness within this book. Here's how it, it speaks close to the end. Jude says, but you, beloved, and through talking about them, but you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. That's a text we shall return to. But with the pastor's permission, I said, I want to use this one. And if you can put up 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, we read there, 
Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Well, we are called to advance in holiness. Now, again, I have to admit, I know that this can care, scare people. There's this little expression that comes out of uh, Isaiah 64 uh, where it says, holier than thou. Uh, maybe you've heard that expression. We're not into the business of comparing ourselves with each other. The standard is Christ, and we need to be able to say we're on our way. That's the direction of our life. This is what we turn our back on. And yes, we see the duty to cleanse ourselves. And if somebody says, well, I don't have any change in my life, I don't have any program of confessing my sin. I just go on living my life the way I always did. The word of God has explicit warning for that soul. It is this. It speaks of holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. We are not saved by being holy. We're not justified or forgiven by anything we do. But the holiness, the change of life, is the proof that we have come to salvation, which by nature will continue. Now, we will look sometime at Jude's appeal, uh, but first we should uh, discuss how do we become holy people? Now, strangely, I've decided to approach it with how not to become holy people. I remember a visit I had from a man he was having trouble, and he wanted some improvement in his life. I think he was angry with his wife, and I think he saw that he's going to lose her if there's not some major change in his life, and he wanted me to help him with the improvements. But he did something. He limited himself to what he's doing and his situation, and that's all. It's as if, could you give me a little tip? Well, that's not how holiness comes. That's not how major change enters into our lives. He had a limited field. And what he was on was a course of frustration and despair. And what he was falling into was introspection. You don't become holy by looking within. Because if you look within, uh, sorry if uh, you feel insulted when I say this, but if you look within, you're looking into the garbage can. And that's not where salvation is. We, to become holy, must look outside ourselves. In uh, 2 Corinthians, 
Um, the apostle begins with promises. I don't think I read you that verse, did I? Well, did we read the second? There we go. Ah, no, that's not the one I want. I want 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, which goes something like this. Having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, completing holiness in the fear of God. I remind you, it began with promises, and it also tells us what we are to do. Now, there are things that are not explained to us. How come the Bible teaches, it does this kind of thing all the time, how come the Bible teaches that God is the one who makes us holy, and then it turns around and tells you that you should be on a path of completing holiness and that you should cleanse yourself? God is the one who cleanses and you should cleanse yourself. Well, there's never a burden placed upon you what you are to do for your forgiveness. That falls entirely upon Christ, and in your case, you believe, and you are justified. But when it comes to sanctification, it is God who works within us the willing and the doing of his good purpose. So God cleanses, and we join in the activity of God in our lives. We cleanse. He cleanses. We do. That is the Christian life. Now, lots of things like this are not explained in the Bible. God can assert something in Scripture that he doesn't explain. For example, Jesus Christ became a human being. Now follow this, he became fully human. He became just as much human as you were. He has always been fully God, and God can't stop being God. So Jesus Christ was at the same time fully God and fully man. Now explain that to me. Uh, don't try. Nobody on earth can explain that. But what we do in these situations is we believe what God said. And God has chosen not always to explain. So we uh, don't worry about that. And our job is simplified to believe what he says, agree with it, to obey what he says, submit to his will. And, and you will find that this is not a path of self-improvement. The light that changes us comes to us from outside, from God himself. We read in scripture that the light has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's not self-improvement. Get it again. The light comes to you. God opens blinded eyes, and we see the glory of God. This is the saving knowledge of Christ, and we see it in the face of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And therefore, the path to holiness is very simple. Don't 
look within, look outside yourself. Now, the looking outside has to be to Christ. The way of holiness is therefore a simple path. Um, there's another verse I'd like to be put up, please, and that's 2 Corinthians 3.18. Here's a verse that tells us what we're looking for, what we're looking at. It says, Beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image. That's an interesting doctrine. You are what you look at. You are what you meditate on. You are what you meditate in. And if it is Christ, you are transformed. I better read it again. We beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed. Now, there's no such thing as Instant holiness. There is such a thing, and if you're saved, you've all had it, as instant forgiveness of all your sins the moment you confessed Jesus as Lord and trusted in his blood to cleanse you from your sins. Even if you didn't know everything that's going on, you turn to Christ, you're in. But now we behold. That's a verb that keeps on going. And we are being transformed by the Lord himself. If I could read further. And we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. In other words, every believer has had a start. I said in the Sunday school class I taught some months ago that when it comes to a change of life, your sanctification, when it comes to this, there are, here's the number of Christians that haven't started, zero. Everyone in Christ has started. Now we need the number of those who are finished in this life, zero. God has started in all and finished in none in this life. And therefore, we continue to walk the same path. And it's a very simple path. We turn from that and we turn to him. Now, since we're dealing with Jude, there's something I have to do. And I'm glad Eric said what he said. We're going to have some things just for men. I'm going to talk about pornography and uh, lust and all that stuff. Sorry, but it's in the Bible, and therefore we must pay attention to it. Uh, I've never been a woman. I don't know how a woman feels, so I'm going to talk to men. And Scripture talks about the danger of sensuality. And I'm reading Jude, and I'm saying, this is just like our day. They're very similar. We're being buried in uh, sexual stimulation. I hope you're sick of it. 
but you can't buy a thumb, you can't buy a thumbtack or a thumb drive without some kind of sexual inducement for everything, whether it's toothpaste or Chevrolets. It, they're always being thrown at you. Yes, we shall endure this throughout our pilgrimage. We live in this danger. But there's such a thing as the grace of God being twisted into sensuality. I saw this one day in a church where I was a pastor in another state. And uh, a person who was a member of the church choir was explaining to me. And she said, to my great surprise, well, God gave us these feelings. And uh, if he gave us these feelings, then... Uh, he must expect us to use them. And I went, there, the grace of God has been turned into sensuality. And I must say something about pornography. I would be surprised and I would declare a miracle if every person here could truthfully say, I don't even look at the stuff. I turn away. I made a mistake preaching in New Mexico once, and I said, when something comes up you shouldn't look at, you have one second to make your decision. And what I feel sorry about is one second is too long. It should be settled in advance. It should be before it begins. <clears throat> I will not look at that. And now we know that in evangelical circles, pornography is an enormous problem amongst ministers, and they have found a way to find that out. So Jude is saying that's how they live. It's not how we live. Beloved, we're on a different path, the path to holiness. Paul says this in Ephesians 4 about the world. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. That's Ephesians 4. In Ephesians 5, he says this. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, nor crude choking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Now what happens in empty words is we get Nice sounding phrases like this. Oh, forgiveness of sin. Well, that's, that's God's job. He loves to forgive. And so it doesn't really matter very much uh, what you do. Uh, you're going to be forgiven. 
When you read an obituary where we lived in New Mexico, every time a person died, it says in the newspaper that he entered eternal life on Tuesday the 13th, and everybody who dies is going to heaven. That is not so. This scripture tells us that anyone who indulges in that has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ, and the wrath of God comes upon him. Now, what is the real activity of holy people? We are back to Jude. But you, beloved, Jude verses 20 and 21, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. A little point of grammar. The key clause in that statement is, keep yourselves in the love of God. And Jude now talks about, how do we do that? Well, it's not just Jude who spoke to this, because now I want to quote Jesus on the subject of receiving the love of God. Be a terrible thing to turn down the love of God. Jesus said in John 14, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. So, how do we keep ourselves in the love of God? One, by building ourselves up in our most holy faith. I love American politics. We'll try not to indulge right now, but before my day, at the end of the Great, uh, the Great Depression, and Franklin Delano Roosevelt had become president of the United States, and we've got to do something about this wretched economy. I, I don't blame him. I can feel uh, his compassion. And so they came out with an expression called the New Deal. You've all been sh shuffled a bad deal, and what we need is a new deal. Heavily involved the participation of the government in the economy. But the reason I bring this up is they had a phrase, and I love the phrase. It's so revealing. They said, we don't know where we're going, but we're on our way. <laughs> yeah. That, that is uh, laughable. However, as Christians, we don't say that. We do know where we're going, and we know what the way is. And Jude said, building yourselves up in that most holy faith. And how do we do it? How do we keep ourselves in the, uh, in our, in the love of God? Well... Peter said once to Jesus, Jesus said to them, uh, a bunch of, bunch of disciples left. They, they couldn't hack it anymore, the things that Jesus was saying. 
And he said to the twelve, Will you also go away? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And may I say about your Bible, you have in your hands the word of eternal life. One of the old Americans back after the revolution is Cotton Mather, or Mather. And Cotton Mather was there the early days of Harvard University. And uh, we find he was such a serious Christian. And he said about himself that he reads about 15 chapters of the Bible every day. That probably beats all of us. He would read five in the morning and five midday and five at night. And he said, I suppose 75% of my time I'm in conversation with God. These are the things that, that Jude pointed out. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Then he says, and praying in the Holy Spirit. <coughs> um, how do we start to pray? We can start on the level of an infant, and we say, Abba, Father. But the words are directed to God. And as we understand our Christian faith, we say such things as, Our Father, who art in heaven. And then that next phrase, phrase is critical. Hallowed be thy name is an old English way of saying, May your name be shown to be holy. May what is true of you be attributed to you. And in that prayer, one is looking at the holiness of God, the one of whom the angels said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And that takes over and permeates our prayers. And we are on a path. I love this proverb. It's not very well known. But I, I have some notes here. There are two piles. One is the sermon notes. The sermon notes are more than I say. Help yourself. And then the other is a paper I wrote battling the influence of homosexuality in my denomination of which I'm a minister and I took 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1. Cleanse yourselves from all defilement of body and spirit even inside your heart. So I wrote that paper. You can have it. <coughs> but this proverb is the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. It when, when it's getting light in the morning, it's not kaboom. The sun is up. You see a gradual change. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the fullness of the day. There's one more. What do we do to remain in the love of God? We are waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the only place in the Bible where I've ever heard of the second coming being described in such words. 
we wait for the mercy of the Lord. And our faith is, he said it, it's true, he will come. And all the things that jar your feelings in this world is all going to be over. You can, after the Lord comes, you can turn over every rock you wish on the entire planet and you shall not find sin. Because this is a new heaven and a new earth in which dwells righteousness and righteousness only. Well, the day that will be. Be patient, dear saints. It's coming. The Lord said so. But be sure that that is what we want. John, the apostle, said, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. No one's perfectly holy. What we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. For your life, all your days, until he comes, make sure you turn your eyes to Christ, for we shall see him as he is, and we shall be like him. Let us pray. O oh, holy, holy, holy God, Blessed are you, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You have blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as you chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And Father, you have told us that this is so that we shall be holy and blameless before you. In Jesus' name we thank you. Amen.